Hi, I'm Sean O. McCarthy, founding editor of the Comics Comic, found wherever you can type the Comics Comic into your electronic devices. Welcome to Last Things First, the show that asks comedians about the historic lasts and firsts in their lives as their comedy careers have blossomed, from young people's dreams to adult people living those dreams, or still dreaming. Questions both big and small are asked and answered. It's hopefully both amusing and illuminating. Lucas Arnold is an actor and voiceover artist who graduated from Northwestern University in 2017 and decided to pursue stand-up comedy after taking a class at Caroline's on Broadway. He was just starting to get gigs around New York City when the COVID-19 pandemic shut everything down. On March 18, 2020, Arnold posted his first TikTok video. A year and a half later, he had amassed 2.2 million TikTok followers. The young comedian sat down with me over Zoom to talk about using his voice to his advantage both before and during the pandemic, whether there are any secrets to TikTok success, and more. If you like this conversation, please consider subscribing to my Substack called Piffany at piffany.substack.com so you can read bonus commentary on this episode as well as more comedy news and insights. Thanks in advance, and now that that's out of the way, let's get to it! So, Lucas Arnold, last things first, thank you for, for joining me. I, I don't know what the schedule of a TikTok star is like, but I can imagine you could be doing many TikToks while you're talking to me. All right, let me let's sit down and let me learn you something. So this is what it's like as a TikTok star. So first off, I have servants. They bring me grapes, very much like a Roman emperor. And uh, then they dress me, and then they bath me, and then they dress me again. And, uh, and then I, and then I get given my phone on a silver platter and then I create gold wash, rinse, repeat. And yeah, that's my day pretty much. No, did, did they teach you that at Northwestern or was that an elective? Um, there was a, it was a junior tutorial. There was a special professor only offered it. It's basically just people who were interested in that, uh, basically only to the people that wanted to dominate. Um, so yeah, um, yeah. So that's so that's you, Mary Elizabeth Kelly, and who else has taken the class? Um, Billy Eichner. He was also there. He came back just to uh, just to take the class. Um, okay, we go way back. I didn't know he was a Northwestern guy. He is. Yeah, he he did go to Northwestern. Yeah, we we did have the um, uh, we had the same voice for performance professor who I really I really loved. Her name was Linda Gates. But but that wasn't like none of this was in your plan, right? When you went to Northwestern, oh. you were you were and presumably still are a serious theater actor. Oh yeah, I'm still definitely still going for like acting stuff. Definitely comedy has taken like the forefront in what I think about and go for most. But um but yeah, the TikTok was not in the plan uh, at all. It was only something I started in the pandemic. Um, and that was after I started doing stand-up in August, uh, well, in the summer of 2019. Um, but before then, and still now, I would say, I would say like uh, theater, acting in general was like a, a big main focus for me. Yeah. Right. I was looking at your earliest TikToks and you did have stand-up clips on there, which showed that you were performing in front of live people before the pandemic. Right. But then looking at your resume, I, I noticed, you know, it, it says you mean make a mean chocolate lava cake, mm. but it, but it didn't have any of the, the normal prerequisites for comedians who were 
going through Chicago of Second City or Improv Olympic yeah, or any of that stuff. So I didn't do any of that stuff when I was uh, at Northwestern. I was really just involved in just like student theater and like the occasional short film or other sort of like films projects. But I really wasn't in comedy as it were until I was 24 and I was here at, back home in New York. Um, what shifted for you? What shifted for me? Well, I was, I was always interested in doing stand up. I did briefly join a group at college called the comedy forum and they put up like stand up shows around campus, but I went to a few meetings and I started like, and basically what you would do is like in their like weekly meetings, you would all sit in a circle and you would just workshop material, just like just sitting down in a circle in chairs. And, um, it was so anxiety inducing that I was almost vibrating with terror of the idea of sharing my material. And I just, I, I was nowhere near ready for it. And, uh, and so I didn't really invest too much time with that. And I just spent more time in theater and doing stuff like that. But, um, but it was when I was 24 that I started seeing a therapist and I started working through (laughs) anxiety and, uh, just feeling more comfortable in my body and feeling confident. And I thought, Ooh, this, uh, in just three, the first three months of therapy, I felt so much better, felt so much more in tune. And I thought, okay, what do I want to do with this? And I thought I really wanted to try stand up, and I wasn't ready to try open mics. That was still a little too scary for me, but I took a class and that was the perfect stepping stone uh, into stand up for me. Uh, just for the record, I was laughing out of recognition, not out of, <laughs> <laughs> when he talks about seeing a therapist and then oh, oh yeah of course that's how you end up in stand-up comedy and right, not yeah. and not doing improv or sketch it's like oh no yeah. i <laughs> i'm saying all this stuff to my therapist oh my therapist is laughing at me maybe maybe other yeah. people will do this for money um i will admit one thing which is that i had a recent change of therapist so my old therapist who i've been seeing since the beginning for like two years um so uh, a few months ago, she was moving practice. And so uh, I had to have a new one. But on our last session, she was like, uh, by the way, considering I'm no longer your therapist, I do follow you on TikTok. And I think you're really funny. I was like, oh. <laughs> Did you give her the classic goodbye? <laughs> no, I was just like, huh? I was just, it was, it was more guttural. I didn't, I couldn't think of much to do. <laughs> so where did you take your one class that you said you took? That was at Caroline's Comedy School with Linda Smith. Okay. So were some of those first clips that you put on YouTube, was that from your graduation or? No, 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 no. But, um, but definitely some of those bits have like, I've used later on. So that, um, that graduation show, I have not, I did put it online at one point, but then I took it off because I, it wasn't quite as, it was good and I'm very proud of it, but it wasn't like a good representation of what I feel like I could do now. Um, that, that's good for you to recognize that even at what, you're 26 now? Yes, I'm 26. That's good for you to recognize because as someone who covers comedy, so often I have young comics who email me and they want to show me their YouTube of their very first set and comment mm-hmm. on it. And I want to say, no, I do not want to comment on your very first stand-up set yeah, no. <laughs> because I can already tell you it's bad. Yeah. <laughs> and even if you think it's good in two years, you will think it's bad. Yeah. It's interesting. Like I've seen it recently and I think I can see like it's spitting. It's sort of, 
it's within spitting distance of like the kind of rhythm and material and general sort of quality I think that I have now but I definitely was not there yet I was like a ball of nerves I mean I'm still a ball of nerves but I but yeah it was definitely right that it's not out in the public so let me just pause for one more second on this topic because (laughs) I'm curious to know as a theater guy what what appealed to you more about stand-up than pursuing improv or sketch it was just something that I've been obsessed with ever since I was 13 because uh, when I was 13, I, I I wasn't raised religiously, but my dad was Jewish and I was very envious of my friends having bar mitzvahs and bat mitzvahs. And I thought, I want basically just the giant party. That was all I wanted. But I was learning. I was like studying for it, you know, reading the Torah and stuff. And um, I was losing interest very fast, but I was I was trying to like muscle my way through it. I'm also a bad reader, very bad reading level. Um but I was reading it and then my dad was passing by me one day and he just said, have you ever seen George Carlin? And, <laughs> and I said, no. And he was like, Oh, you got to go on YouTube. And then I just looked up George Carlin and then I never touched that book again. And I immediately abandoned like uh, any idea of like being close to religion at all. I was just like, no, no, no. And then I, and then George Carlin, I got obsessed with all of his stand-up specials, and then that was like my gateway into an obsession with stand-up. Your your dad had to know what he was doing, right? I guess. I, you say <laughs> that, me- but he, what, I really, if I put myself in his shoes, I I don't think he was like Machiavellian or scheming or anything. I think it literally just occurred to him, and he was like, oh, let me just check if Lucas have ever, has ever heard of this guy. It really, I, I do think that was his... Uh, his mindset. Right. But you know, you're obviously not going to keep studying the Torah after you plunge into George Carlin. Your words, not mine. Uh. <laughs> now I know you've, you've joked in your stand-up comedy about uh, how your mom is from Sudan and how that's impacted your own upbringing. Where is your dad from? Is he also from Sudan or? No, my dad is from New Jersey. Uh, <laughs> classic, classic, yeah, yeah, cute. Yeah. <laughs> exactly yeah um but yeah my dad's side of the family like i know a little but i don't know that well like my mom's side of the family that when i think of my family that's who i think of because they're the people who i saw like every year uh generally like growing up twice a year i would go over uh, to see them for like summers and christmases so like i'm much closer with them and i saw my dad's side of the family growing up like a little bit here and there but it was only for like very special occasions um, so, so you're more in touch with with Africa than with New Jersey? I would say more in touch with the UK because that's where. <laughs> oh, okay. Because that's that's where like my mom's family like is, like my mom is from the Sudan. She lived there until she was eight years old, and then she and my uncles and my grandparents then they moved to the UK, and that's where they like grew up for like the remainder of their childhood. Okay. I have like, um, like my grandfather married again. He had more kids, like everyone in like that. They're all in the UK. And that's oh, where. So have you been to the I, Sudan? I have not been to the Sudan. I desperately want to visit. And I have lots of cousins that have also never been to the Sudan. And they also really want to visit. And we started like, tr- just like the inklings of like trying to plan a visit, but then the pandemic hit and like all those plans sort of washed away. Okay. So, yeah. So <laughs> speaking of plans washing away or, or, or having to adapt, 
So you had just really started getting heavily involved in stand-up in mm-hmm. 2019. You're you're still relatively very young in the game at 24. Yep. And then the pandemic hits. And did you have an immediate sense of what to do or? No, I mean, like I was just starting, just starting to get like recommended for shows. And I thought, all right, I'm moving my way up. This is going well. And then everything got canceled, locked down. And um, the reason why I got on TikTok was because I was at an open mic and this dude uh, just recommended getting on TikTok. Uh, This is like in early February, I think. He's like, yeah, just make videos. Doesn't even have to be that good. Just put out numbers. It's a great way to uh, direct people over to your Instagram, grow your following. It's a good thing to do. And I was like, all right. And I just sort of had it in the back of my mind. I think I downloaded TikTok and I started like watching videos a little bit, but I didn't start posting until a few days into lockdown. Uh, I don't know if this is your actual first clip or if you deleted other clips that were older than this, but on your profile, your first TikTok is from March 18th. Yeah, 2020. And that's of you uh, as Gollum reading Virginia Woolf. Yeah, I just I thought I I just thought it was funny, the idea of Gollum reading feminist literature. I just I just had those two elements in mind, Gollum feminist. I just thought I just thought it was a funny juxtaposition. Both are very precious. Indeed. Um, What did you have? What what kind of social media or or online footprint did you have before that? Oh, I um an Instagram. And, uh, that was pretty much it. I was not active on Twitter at all. I like maybe made an account, but then I, I didn't touch it for years. Um, but yeah, only Instagram. I maybe had like 500 followers or so was around there. Something like that. Yeah. What about YouTube? YouTube. I did have a YouTube channel where I, I didn't like use it as a YouTube channel. I mainly used it as a place to like store, like the occasional acting clip or, voiceover reel or things like that um just as a place to like house those things so i could feature them on my website or send to someone or something like that and were you getting voiceover work at the time before the oh yeah yeah i was a full-time voice actor at the time full-time so what's that what was that like before the pandemic Uh, well before the pandemic i felt like i had a really good balance of it when i started doing stand-up because like I had very regular clients and then I, and so I would do everything at home. And then in the afternoon and evening, I would go out to open mics and, sh- and see shows and stuff. And that was like a very, for me, it was like a very healthy balance of like having time for myself and then being very social and being with people and a lot of activity. And it was, it was, I was very happy. I was really happy with that balance. Um, and then when the pandemic hit and I was just at home all the time, I also live alone. So it was very isolating and it was a dark period. Definitely a dark period. Were you getting enough voiceover work pre-pandemic to pay bills? Yeah. Yeah. Full time. Yeah. Oh, wow. So, so even at, even at 24, you didn't have to worry about the typical day job situation that most actors or comedians face. Not really. I was very, I, I count my blessings every day for like the, things that I've not had to worry about where a lot of people my age typically have to worry about. Uh, I also didn't have any student loans uh, coming out of college. And that was huge. That was huge for me. Um, I did briefly have a day job when I was uh, 23 and I got fired a month and a half in. It wasn't my fault. Um, 
It was like, um, it was right when I decided that I wanted to get, because I was, um, after college, I just did voiceover. I decided I wanted to go into voiceover full-time. I thought that's what it's going to be for me. That's how I'm going to be satisfied creatively. This is my calling. This is it. And after doing it for a year and really like grinding away, I realized I wasn't happy with doing it alone. And I realized that I missed acting I, and that I needed some, that I had a lot of issues with anxiety and I needed to get a therapist. And I did like a trifecta of changes. I, um, I decided I want to get back into acting, auditioning for on camera and stage stuff, and that I needed to get a therapist and that I needed to get a job because I thought, all right, if I'm going for acting, I'm going to be doing a lot of stuff that is not going to pay me. So I need to do something that only pays me and where I, so yeah and uh so yeah those are the changes i made and then i on top of that i started doing uh i signed up for uh the stand-up class in that sort of same period of time and in those in your early stand-up you joke about how like you have this opener about how you realize that your voice doesn't match your looks Mm. Was that something that that it took you in real life that took you a while to come to grips with? No, no, I was I was very aware of that very early on. But yeah, that, but to to realize that that was a strength that that was something you could take advantage of, like say with voiceover work. It's something that I liked surprising people with. Sometimes it was uh, it was like an interesting. I liked seeing people's faces when they go like just that, just that little, I, I, I enjoyed that. Um, just like, I don't know why, but I did enjoy it. And um, it was something that like, I thought I need to address this, especially as I was starting out. I thought, um, cause you're also just thinking, all right, what can I do material about? It was, it was just something that immediately came to mind that like, um, that I had to and could address. It was something that I could get material out of. But also get gigs out of because you realize, oh, there's a there's a career path for having a distinctive voice. Well, also, what was interesting is that it was a way for me to make friends with other comedians because a lot of comedians were kind of interested in doing a little bit of voiceover work on the side. So I would mention that and I would also mention the fact that I did voiceover work and that was a reason why a couple people like approached me and start and like started becoming friends with me because they were interested in that. And then I got to learn from them more about stand up. So it was honestly a little bit strategic for me to talk about voice stuff um, as a way of like, I guess like enticing people to like ask about it, which wasn't like often, but it happened a few times. And mm-hmm. I was, and that was, if anything, it gave me the confidence to then approach other people other comedians just to say, I like your stuff. I want to like get to know you and things like, yeah. And were you, were you already featuring impersonations in like your earliest reels or theater classes in terms of saying, this is a, this is something I can flex. No, not once. I've never. And I, and I don't do it in my standup. It's um, (laughs) I don't want to say that I'll never do impressions in my standup, but I haven't, found a reason to use an impression and I don't want to force it. It it doesn't feel right. 
Um, cause a lot of my stuff is very personal. It's storytelling based, I feel. And so I'm, I'm trying to like trust my gut and realize, oh, you know, wedging an impression here just doesn't feel right. Um, but yeah, previously, like I'd done impressions for friends and stuff, but I never used it, um, for, for acting. I did occasionally for voiceover, there were occasionally a job where I would do an odd sound effect or a voice match of someone else. Mm -hmm. Um, but besides that, hardly ever used impressions uh, professionally. Right. There might be an ad where they're like, uh, we can't afford Nick Offerman, but we want something Nick Offerman-esque. Can you give us yeah. that? Lucas, can you give us a, a take like that on the mic? Yeah. Well, um, sometimes people ask for that. They're like, hey, can you give us so we know that you can do this? Can you give it a little bit more in this person's style? And then if you can, it's good. So definitely for voiceover work, it's, it's a boon. It's a, it's a good skill to have. So then when you joined TikTok in March of 2020 at the start of lockdowns, mm. it was really a departure for you, not just by being on TikTok, but by exposing this other side of yourself. I guess I didn't really think too much of it as like a shift or a pivot in like my comedy. Like uh, I didn't, I just thought this is a thing I can do on TikTok that people might like. That's the only thought I had. I I thought I can do this. People might like it. Um, But after I built a pretty good following, um, mainly just on the back of impressions, like some people like my standup clips, but really like what really took off in 2020 were my impressions videos. I realized that, well, I had some people reaching out to me for opportunities and treating me purely as an impressionist and not as a comedian. And that bothered me. I understood why they were doing that, but I didn't like, I didn't like being treated that way. I didn't like being referred to as an impressionist. And so in, in the new year in 2021, I chose to make a pretty hard pivot to only doing um, stuff that I've written, either jokes or stand-up clips or sketches, whatever it is, it had to be stuff that I had written where that was the focus. Um, where and like occasionally maybe doing an odd impression here and there but not relying on that and accepting that i was going to take a dip in views um but to just trust that i would rather have that for doing what i wanted to get laughs on than to have success for the thing that i didn't want to get laughs on anymore right uh i only became aware of you this year because i wasn't on tiktok before this year you're probably um, healthier for it. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm just older for it is what it, what it was. But when I first saw you, I can't remember what the first thing was. It might have been an impersonation, like a John Mulaney thing, or it might have been even something about Ben Shapiro. But I think it mo- most likely might have been just like a random turn up on my For You page where it was just one of your now classic things where you slide in front of the bathroom mirror, yeah. give like your little deep thought and then say goodbye. And it was the goodbye that really got me. I was like, Oh, this kid with his goodbyes, there's something about the way he just kind of nonchalantly yeah. comes in and out. But uh, to be honest, I still don't know why people like that. It was totally by accident. I didn't have this like strategic thing in my, I just did it one day. Um, with like, um, the joke I said was, uh, uh, 
hey, what would you call it if instead of Jesse Eisenberg, Mark Zuckerberg was played by Tyler Perry? Social media. And then I just say, and it was just like, I was trying to do it almost like a, a Norm MacDonald-esque, like sort of like trying to hide your own laughter. I was like, hey, what would you call this? This is all right, goodbye. It was just like, um, and for some reason, people clung on to that. And so I did more with that format and people really liked it. I was like, all right, if you guys like it, I'll do it. Um, it's totally did- accidental though. Well, what about what about the way you said goodbye, though? Because I know it's changed a little bit in more recent videos, but there was a period where you had a distinctive flair. Oh, yeah. There was a very specific way that I would say this, and I would go goodbye. Yeah, it was, um, <laughs> it was something that I, I definitely... I, I, I remember what I hear pretty well, and so I, cl- I clung on to the rhythm and the tonality of what I just happened to do um, very early on. And then I just started like keying into that just by rote. Um, and, uh, but then I started breaking away and getting a little bit angrier and just <laughs> like, and yeah. So like showing a range of emotions through the goodbye. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, a, a year earlier though, like, like you were saying, you became known as an impression guy as, mm. because that's what, that's what hit like your first, really big TikTok was the Tiger King auditions by various actors. So, I mean, you had to have like intuitively known that, okay, the voices are something that people typically like, they might respond to it. So when they did, and when you have that first splash of virality or whatever you want to, whatever you want to call it, yeah how did how did you react to that was there a sense of oh i need to take i need to capitalize on this it was first it felt good just like a lot of people saying oh my god this is hilarious this is great that just feels amazing but then the stress sets in of following up with like something just as good and that if it doesn't hit the same high numbers and give you that same sort of like burst of good feelings that feels worse and it was after that video not that much really hit for three months three months oh yeah and i still had like a steady climb of followers like videos still said uh videos still kept doing fairly well but not as well as that one um until i started doing like the i love it when you call me senorita series (laughs) which i hit upon in june and so it really was three months of like not hitting that same sort of virality. Um, And was that by, you know, fill me and my listeners in on like this, not the secrets of TikTok, but the the strategy of it. Like, was that by looking at what the hashtag trends were or by looking at what, what music notes were being used? Because that's what I hear other TikTok users talk about is you have to kind of play the game of what what gets circulated or how people there, look for TikToks yeah. that aren't just showing up on the page or how there to was, even that, get on the page. There was definitely uh, a lot of strategy. Right in the beginning, I, there was strategy. And what I, something that I did before I even started posting is I just watched videos just to understand the sort of tempo of TikTok 
understand like what people were already doing, seeing like what sort of jump cuts, what like text was on screen, just seeing what was done and what was successful and sort of learning, okay, these are the things that people do that are successful and then trying to figure out where I fit in. And so the first video, even if it wasn't like the most viral, but the first video I noticed it a little bit better was when I did, um, uh, it was Obi-Wan Kenobi, Ben Kenobi, uh, waiting for something to happen to Luke Skywalker. Because I thought about it, because like, I'm a massive Star Wars fan, I thought there was like 17 years where nothing happened to Luke. He just had a pretty <laughs> normal childhood. Uh, right. Growing up with his aunt and uncle, he was out on Tatooine. And I thought, oh yeah, this dude is just waiting. And like, and in the cartoon series, you learned that he had like other stuff going on, but a lot of it was just waiting around, I realized. And so at the time, there was this big trend of the dude going, okay, I'm bored in the house and I'm in the house board. Okay, I'm bored right. in the house, house board. board in the, and so I did an impression of Ben Kenobi doing that song. Okay, I'm bored in the house and I'm in the house board. And it was like, and so, and that hit just a little bit. And then I had a lot of Star Wars fans starting to follow me from that. And so I capitalized that with doing more impressions in a sort of Star Warsy setting. Um, and so, and that grew even more. And then when I did that Tiger King video, I did a couple, I did Obi-Wan Kenobi right at the beginning. And that was strategic because I wanted to hook the, my Star Wars fans in to stay through the end of the video and then bump up the numbers so that the video then got thrown to more people. So to like hook people in as quickly as possible and then follow it up with more impressions so that the audience grows. And so it was very strategic for me in the beginning, noticing what worked and what audience I had, I wanted to serve right at the beginning of the video and then follow it up with more, more things that I can do. And then over the, over the course of the last year and a half, have you felt like, is there an urgency in terms of producing the next video? Or do you feel like you can wait a week between? I try uploads? to post, I try to post every day. Um, right when I was starting out, it was just once a day because like, that's all I could. Cause it's, it's a very steep learning curve to learn just how to make videos on TikTok. It's a weird app to learn, but um then I started trying to post more and it takes a lot out of you to like post lots of videos every day and have an original idea and like edit. It's, it's a lot to do. Um, now I'm back to just like doing just one video a day, just about sometimes a second one, but more often than not just one. Um, but I can, yeah, I can take a break if I need to, you know, there are reasons that come up, but I, in general, because it's now my full-time thing. I pretty much just do content creation full-time. And I still have, like, voiceover work that I do occasionally. But now, like, this is what I do mostly. Um, and uh, so I do try to do it every day. Um, and then, like, share the same things on various other social media, like YouTube, Instagram, and so on. Um, yeah. How is that? How is that translated into... Uh for lack of a better term, what we call the influencer economy, like mm. brands approaching you or the the well, secret sauce of how you turn 2.2 million TikTok followers into money. Yeah, 
it's um i was definitely hesitant uh for a while because i didn't know how much i should be negotiating for um but recently since may i've had a manager who's been helping me enormously to do um sponsored things and i've done a few sponsored videos and they've been a lot of fun to do uh because they 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 pay very nicely um <laughs> and uh so yeah i I don't have much to offer in terms of rate negotiation for people who might get the odd offer, but there was, I won't say what the brand was, but there was a brand that said they would only pay me like $150 if I made 10 videos for them. And I just thought that's way, that's much too low. That's, and so I would tell people that if they're getting reached out to, please trust your gut if something feels really low for the amount of work they're asking you to put in. So that's the low. Let's jump at every opportunity. So 150 for 10 videos is the lowest of low ball offers you've received. What's the highest offer you've received, whether you took it or not? Well, they wouldn't say what they were going to pay me right off the bat. It was only after like speaking for a while that they would actually say, um, what, but I did, I, it's not the case that you would just get an offer for X amount of money for doing this kind of video. It was like, Hey, we want to work with you. We want to do this kind of a video. And then over time, a rate would emerge. That's kind of what it was. Um, yeah, but the highest I've been paid, uh, 8k for one. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> was that before or after TikTok expanded the length of time from one minute to three minutes? It was shorter. It was, it was not nowhere near three minutes, oh. um, but I think it was probably <laughs> after that came to be. And as you, as you were telling me earlier, your standup persona is nothing like your TikTok mm, no. persona. So I, w- I would hope that it's, I, I try to not create, a persona on well, any, try to be like honest. I apologize for using the word persona, but no, no, it's okay. It's okay. I'm not like offended, but like, um, <laughs> and definitely I have like little affectations, like the Hey Goodbye is very stylized. It's very specific, but I've also tried to like break away from that and kind of just be myself with these videos. And I try to be myself with stand up as well. So, but I guess the question remains once clubs started reopening and, 2021 Mm. and you now had a little bit more cachet in terms of being able to book gigs Mm. in front of live audiences. Was there any sort of tension within yourself in terms of like, well, how do I, how do I approach this newfound fame in front of people when they might be expecting something else? I, at the end of the day, all I can do is just do my stand-up. So I, there's definitely a part of my brain that would like get stressed about it, but it, there's only so much I can do. All I can do is do the stand-up that I want to do and I feel like is good. And so if they have like a weird reaction or honestly, like audiences, I've never had a problem with. And I've had people... Uh, sometimes come out to me they're like oh we're a fan of your social media i'm like oh my god thank you so much for coming out they go we love the show and i'm like great so glad you enjoyed it if anything i would say it's uh bookers 
that are surprised I don't do what I do on social media. It's actually bookers that are a little bit su- more surprised by the sort of standardness of my standup. Um, yeah. But that hasn't resulted in any sort of pressure for you to change your stage act. No, I don't think so. I, I do have friends sometimes going, oh man, you do so many impressions, you got to do them on stage. I'm like, I don't want to. I, I haven't felt the need to, and I don't really, um, yeah, but um, definitely not from the audience, not at all. So what, if anything, has changed over the course of the pandemic in terms of what your goals or ambitions are as a as a performer, as an actor, as a comedian? Um, I don't think my goals have changed. I really don't think I, I definitely things are more possible than they were before because like I have a following and that like helps in terms of like bookability and people sometimes wanting to work with me. And that's really great. But I don't think I've changed that much in terms of, um, what I want to do. It's just more things are possible. So if I check back in with you in 10 years at 36, what do you, what do you hope to be talking to me about? I would hope to be talking to you about touring as a comedian, working consistently, having a successful podcast, um, doing occasional movies and TV shows and other projects when I really enjoy them and they, they feel meaningful and just having like just a good balance of, yeah, a good balance of life where I get to pursue comedy full time and, good acting projects, really good ones when I'm really excited about them. Well, Lucas Arnold, I look forward to talking to you about all those things in 10 years then. This episode of the Comics Comic Presents Last Things First was post-produced by Alex Brazell at Showbiz Studios. The music was by Camille Harris and Shockwave, logo by Giggle Chick. If you enjoyed listening, please check out my Substack called Piffany at piffany.substack.com for transcripts, bonus commentary, and expert analysis about comedy, show business, and more. I'm your host, Sean L. McCarthy. Thanks for listening. Last